Other, that's it. Relationships, relationships, relationships. It is the stuff of human existence. Your great gift. And we would be remiss this Thanksgiving if somewhere in our hurrying through toward the holidays, we miss the opportunity to say thank you for these who mean the world to us. And so as we meditate and contemplate these waning moments of thanksgiving, keep it a thanks-living kind of reality for the journey ahead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most poignant stories I heard that came out of the ashes of that terrible September 11 tragedy is the story of two grown-up friends. Two grown-up friends. They started as little girls, but two women who became as close as friends can get, I suppose. C.S. Lewis once described a friendship like this with these words, Are not all lifelong friendships... I like this quote. It's from The Problem of Pain. Are not all lifelong friendships born at the moment when at last you meet another human being who has some inkling of that something which you were born desiring and which, beneath the flux of other desires and in all the momentary silences between the louder passions night and day, year by year, from childhood to old age, you are looking for, watching for, listening for kindred spirits. Isn't that what really makes a friendship so lifelong, the sharing as we put it, of, of a kindred longing, a kindred spirit. And such were these two grown-up girls who lived in Massachusetts, two girls grown up into friends. And when they grew up, they both fell in love with young men. They both got married. They both settled down as young wives and professionals. But on and on and on their friendship journeyed, as every good friendship does, and as fate would have it. One of them became pregnant and eventually gave birth to a beautiful baby daughter like Isabella we just saw. And, of course, she insisted that her lifelong friend become the baby's godmother. The new baby now has a godmother. Well, the little girl grew up to four and then to five. And every good godmother knows that once you have a godchild, you must make the promise to take that child to Disneyland. And so the promise was made and the tickets were procured. Two women and one girl, actually one mother and one daughter and one godmother, began to dream of a voyage through the sky to a land called Disney. And so on September 11, the mother and daughter boarded an American Airlines flight out of Boston, destination Los Angeles. They should have. They would have boarded three together, but alas, the seating was not available. They could not travel together. And so mother and young daughter board without their dearest friend. Little did either know that the flight they had boarded would become the flight that in a matter of minutes after takeoff would be commandeered and intentionally flown into the first of the Twin Towers that September 11 morning. And both mother and daughter, of course, would be slain. Now, of course, the mother's dearest friend and the daughter's godmother was not on that ill-fated flight. She couldn't get a seat, couldn't get a ticket. So she had to purchase a ticket on another airline. Though, of course, when she took off from that same Logan airport moments later, she could not know that her dearest friend 
along with her godchild, had been killed in that tragic air disaster at the World Trade Center, nor could she know that the plane upon which she was flying would moments later become the second plane to strike the second tower of the World Trade Center. Two dearest friends who shared life and a daughter and the little girl, all three gone, on a sunny Tuesday we will always remember as September 11. Left behind the husbands and the father who kissed them goodbye and bid them farewell for a few happy-go-lucky friendship days. The Thanksgiving Phoenix, out of the ashes, a grateful heart. Our continuing Thanksgiving meditation, this two-part series. I mean, what, what, what possible phoenix could rise up out of the ashes of so poignantly a bittersweet story of friendship in life and in death? Ah, uh-huh. it is the same phoenix that soars heavenward from the scribbled last words of a dungeon-bound prisoner once upon a time. Join me in opening your Bible right now, please, to his last written communique before he died, a letter we still call Second Timothy. A letter hastily penned to one he affectionately called my dearly beloved son, my boy. Second Timothy. Let's find it together. Second Timothy. Chapter 4. Verse 6. I'll be reading in the New Revised Standard Version. That'll be the translation on the screen for us today. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. As for me, the, the, the prisoner in the Mamertine dungeon in, in Rome scribbles. His name is Paul. As for me, I am already being poured out as a libation. That's a sacrificial offering. My life is becoming already a sacrifice. And the time of my departure is at hand. Verse 9. So, Timothy, please, do your best to come to me soon. Verse 13, and when you come, by the way, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and also the books and above all the parchments. How have I gone this long without those books? Please bring them with you when you come. Verse 16, oh, by the way, Timothy, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But, oh, Timothy, please don't you leave me alone this time. You must come and you must come quickly. Verse 21, do your best to come before winter. Three terse words shaped into a single passionate summons. Come before winter. Come before I'm gone. Come before I die. Come soon. Come before winter, please. Come while you are still able. Come while I am still living. Come while I can still remember who you are. Come while I can yet touch you. Come while it is night. Come while it is now. Come before winter. It is the passionate cry of a heart that has learned the quivering truth about the transience of all relationships we live for in this life. What is that truth? It's a simple truth. I wish you'd remember it. Treasure who you have and tell who you treasure now. Come before winter. Don't wait. 
Treasure you, you have, until who you treasure. Now you don't have... You don't, hey, listen. Some of you say, I don't have very many friendships. I don't care how many friendships you have. You don't need a thousand friendships to do this. Treasure who you have. And tell who you treasure. Now, not tomorrow. Tell them now. You may not have a whole heart full of relationships. You may have just a handful. You don't need a whole heart full to survive in this life. My friend, you need just one or two. Treasure what you have and tell what you treasure. Tell who you treasure now. For there is surely a heart somewhere in this Thanksgiving season that cries out to you and me, I will, please, I wish you would come before winter. Come before the door is closed. Come before the night has fallen. Come before winter. Treasure who you have and tell who you treasure now. Clarence Edward McCartney, in that, in that celebrated sermon of his by the same title, Come Before Winter, it's a masterpiece. My predecessor here, some of you aren't old enough to know him, but uh, my predecessor here, I think every year, would preach uh, the manuscript of Clarence McCartney's sermon. Come before winter. You remember that. Here are words from that sermon. Beautiful. Before winter or never. That's what Paul is saying. Before winter or never, there are some things which will never be done unless they are done before winter. The winter will come and the winter will pass and the flowers of springtime will deck the breast of the earth and the graves of some of our opportunities, perhaps the grave of our dearest friend. There are golden gates wide open on this autumn day, but next October they will be forever shut. There are tides of opportunity running now at the flood, but next October they will be at the ebb. There are voices speaking today which a year from today will be silent before winter or never. Come before winter. I was with a little family yesterday who sensed this would be a good time to gather together. And so they came before winter. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful family moment. They came together before winter because they know not what winter will bring. And when the spring comes again, one from that family circle may not be with them any longer. Come before winter. Come. Two days be before this Thanksgiving. That would be four days ago. A man and a woman drew close to each other as other men and other women much like them have ever drawn close in moments like this. Just four days ago. It was nothing fancy, you understand. Just a borrowed vacant room in a building that hardly felt like home. But at least the two of them for a moment in time could be all alone together like it had once been once upon a time. A small table in the middle of the room was set with candles that flickered their warm glow upon the faces of the man and the woman. A lone long-necked bottle sat uncorked beside two goblets and between the two people. This husband and this wife who on this night draw close and quiet celebration of an anniversary now 53 years long. Hallelujah. The anniversary of that sunny afternoon when he, the dashing young prince, said, Wilt thou? And she, the fair young maiden, wilted. 53 years of love. 53 years of life. Fifty-three years of children and grandchildren and memories that only she can remember. She is my mother. He is my father. And he has Alzheimer's. This picture was taken, not this week, when Dad was still living at home. 
there in Banning, California. That's true on Tuesday night, Dad's eyes teared up. As seated there in the wheelchair beside the small table, he hung his head. As if in the shadows of that borrowed nursing home room, he could somehow summon the misty past into a fleeting moment of recognition. Mom held his hand with tears brimming in her own dark eyes. Not the customary tears of joy and memory that glisten and sparkle on an anniversary night like this. No, no, no. Now they are mostly the crystalline tears of an empty ache that knows that though Dad were to live to be a hundred years old, he will never share with her the past that can no longer be remembered. And every new day quickly becomes the forgotten past. I want to ask you something. When you're celebrating an anniversary like that, to what do you lift your goblet? Do you toast the past that only half of the relationship can remember? Do you toast the future knowing that the future will only get more painful than the present? What do you toast at a moment like that in a borrowed vacant room in a nursing home where the aides will leave you alone for a few moments? What do you toast? Oscar Wilde, was he right? In this world there are only two tragedies. One is not getting what one wants and the other is getting it. Either way, you lose. Is that the way it works in relationships? Two people fall in love, pledging in sickness and in health till death do us part, little knowing the depths to which that nuptial vow will one day be plunged. And so four days ago, my parents celebrated their 53rd wedding anniversary. Or at least my mother did. Remembering that day when that young pastoral couple got married on that Sunday in November in San Francisco in 1948. I say this to the first service crowd in the very church that John Doogie is pastoring today. That's where they, my folks, the Central Church in San Francisco, they began their ministry there. Yeah. Fifty-three years later, is this the reward of life and ministry for two hearts that dreamed of retirement but with only one heart left that can even remember the dream? Two weeks ago yesterday, I wheeled my dad to the inner court and garden of his nursing home. I wanted a chance just to be alone with Dad. To carry on some very small talk, which is about all he's able to do now. To sit there beneath the blue California sky and gaze into that ruggedly handsome face of his. Beneath his shock of white thinning hair, this man who was always my hero. He still seems young to me at 74, though I used to think as a boy he was the Ancient of Days. His laugh is still contagious. His sense of humor is quick, though now it is over the corniest of things. And his hearing is keen, and he quickly looked heavenward at the droning of a distant plane, and I, I hurriedly shifted our limited conversation to his, to his days as a volunteer chaplain of the Civil Air Patrol in nearby Palm Springs. My dad has been a pilot as well as a pastor and president of conferences. For a split moment, he remembered, and he nodded, and then it was gone. After a few more minutes of meandering small talk, this minister's son spoke to his minister father, who had been his ministerial hero all through childhood and even through adulthood, if the truth were known. I spoke to Dad about the grand theme of his life and ministry, the one he taught me to make the theme of my life and ministry, the blessed 
hope of the soon coming of Jesus Christ. You know when Jesus comes, Dad, <clears throat> you, won't have, you won't have this wheelchair anymore and you'll remember all the stories you used to tell us as kids and we'll all be together, won't we? And through it all, like an obedient catechumen, a, a, a student of Scripture, Dad kept nodding his head as if he knew that I would only ask him questions that are supposed to be answered with a yes. But then what does it matter anymore, all the small talk of these days? For Dad always loved the God of whom Job said, Though he kills my memory, yet will I trust him. And knowing Dad once believed, I am persuaded that God is able to keep that which Dad has committed to him until that day. So I do not worry a moment about my father's salvation at the hands of the gentlest and most gracious God this universe has ever had the privilege of knowing. Though I do worry for my mother's health and for her sanity now. The caregiver I have learned in a lifelong friendship pays the highest price, as some of you here know very well. The highest price of all. A couple Saturday nights ago, Mom and I went with two friends, Lou and Marge Vendon. Some of you know the Vendons from when they were here in our faculty. We went to a barbershop chorus and quartet concert that was a wonderful diversionary experience for us all. We laughed and we hummed and we cheered and we applauded. But one of the numbers that the 120 voice chorus sang was an old song, love song, The Way We Were. Some of you know that song. It's a love song about the memories two lovers once shared. I was enjoying the song, thinking of Karen and the life and the love that we've had the privilege of sharing, when suddenly it hit me that this particular song might be especially difficult for my mother. And so trying not to look over, you know how you try to look without looking. I didn't want to look. I don't want to, you know, just turn my head. So I just, I just looking out of the corner of my eye. And sure enough, I could see the quick and repeated movement of a hand and a finger that furtively kept trying to keep the tears from trickling very far down her cheeks. I didn't know what to say. So I just reached out and put my hand on her knee. What would my mother give? To share a single memory of the way we were with a man who for 53 years has shared her life, but who can no longer remember. It was for me a point in affirmation of the painful truth that surely all of America has learned since September 11. God help us if we have not learned this truth, the inestimable value, but the unpredictable transience of the relationships we cherish most. Can there be a phoenix to rise out of the ashes this Thanksgiving season for America? It's surely for you and me. It surely is a lesson. Treasure who you have and tell who you treasure now. Come before winter. Don't wait. It may be too late. You've got to come. You've got to come now. Come before winter. Pick up the phone. Get in that car. Write the letter. Board the plane, pay the price, cross the street, cross the campus, cross the hall, cross the room, cross the table for Pete's sake. Don't wait. It may be too late. Come before winter. In the old Abbey Kirk or church at Haddington, one can read over the grave of Jane Welsh, the first of many pathetic and regretful tributes paid by her husband, Thomas, Thomas Carlyle, to his neglected wife. He neglected her. In England, you will read these words. 
For 40 years, she was a true and loving helpmate of her husband and by act and word, worthily forwarded him as none else can, could, in all worthy, those are his words, in all worthy he did or attempted. She died at London the 21st of April, 1886, suddenly snatched from him and the light of his life is gone out. They say the saddest words in all of English literature are these words that Thomas Carlyle penned in his diary. One sentence long. Look at it. Oh, that I had you yet for five minutes by my side that I might tell you all. Come before winter. Come. Wait. How somber the admonition Carlyle yet speaks to us when he wrote these words. Cherish what is dearest while you have it near you and wait not till it is far away. Blind and deaf that we are. Oh, think if thou yet love anybody living. Wait not till death sweep down the paltry dust clouds and dissonances of the moment. And all be made at last so mournfully clear and beautiful when it is too late. Come before winter. On the eve of his death, Jesus spoke words that separated from their context add to our concluding counsel when he whispered to Judas the admonition, what you do, do quickly. Such was the passion of Jesus upon the eve of Calvary. This same Jesus who refused to wait, who hastened, who hurried to the cross, that he might come before the winter of our own gray death. That he might die a crimson sacrifice, treasuring those he had and telling those he treasured what you do, do quickly. Come before winter, before it is too late. Treasure who you have and tell who you treasure now. Oh God, forgive us. For taking granted for too long the most precious gifts of this life. Not things, not portfolios, not possessions, not what we have accumulated, O oh God, but the affairs of the heart, the relationships of the mind and the kindred spirit. The blessed ties that bind us, O oh God. No more we must come before winter. There's a man here who needs to come to his wife before winter, O oh God. I pray that you will give that man a new boldness and courage. If there is a wife here who must come to her husband before winter, then let her banish the memory of the past. Let her seize the moment of writing a new present and promise for the future and let her come before winter, if there is a child with a grown-up parent, a child that has been negligent, a child that has been forgetful, a child that has chosen not to remember over some hurt, some wound, and yet a lonely heart somewhere on earth today suffers, waiting against hope and hoping against it as well that before winter, this child might come. Oh, God, do whatever it takes. We've been hard on each other. Someone in this community, not of flesh or blood or kinship, 
But oh, we must go to that one before winter comes and the ears are stilled and the lips can no longer speak. Come before winter, Holy Father. Don't let us wait. Calvary came to us before it was too late. In the shadow of Calvary, let us go before winter that we might treasure who we have and that we might tell who we treasure now. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, let us come before this winter fast approaches.